So, last week we spoke about the armor of God, and we, we started to talk about those qualities that each of those pieces represent, right? And, and we said in general that all of those pieces, in a sense, represent Christ himself, because to put on the armor of God is essentially the same thing as to say to put on Christ. All right, so our objective is to put on Christ, and every one of those pieces resembles a certain virtue or a certain quality. And in Christ, we have the perfection of all the virtues. We have every single quality or characteristic that a Christian is supposed to exemplify perfected in Christ. So, in essence, we're called to be Christ as a whole, and for our purposes today in meditating on these components of the armor, what we want to say is that each one of these pieces represent a specific component that St. Paul wants to emphasize. And we need to just walk away with a certain quality that we can try to apply in our lives. All right, so we're going to pick up with Ephesians 6.18. Okay, so last week we stopped at verse 17. All right, now when it comes to the very last um, point that we mentioned, and I know last week we had a little glitch and the, the internet kind of cut out, cut out as I was concluding. And I think God was telling me, like, you're already over your time. Like, <laughs> that's enough. <laughs> but I wanted to emphasize that in all of these pieces of the armor that St. Paul is talking about, you can look at some of them as defensive instruments and some of them as instruments for offense. Okay, now the defensive instruments, obviously, to defend ourselves, the offensive instruments are to attack, to use for offense. Now, we we can classify each specific instrument with a, a more offensive or defensive quality, but that's not the purpose of me talking about this point. The purpose is that, in general, the spiritual life is a life of offense and defense. The equipment for defense is like the shield or the helmet of salvation. So what we want to really emphasize is that it's important for us to guard ourselves. Okay, And if we don't pay attention to these instruments that St. Paul is talking about, then we won't be able to protect ourselves. All right? But the defense is actually not the primary objective, like the, the priority or our primary focus is not just to focus on defending ourselves. The primary focus is for us to always play offense, for, all, for us to always pursue Christ, to attack, to slay our enemies, to slay the temptations, the, the passions that are inclined to sins and lusts, and to try to hold on to Christ. 
Okay, so that's our primary objective. And we apply that in a general sense. In, instead of trying to like really analyze each one of these pieces of the armor and, and trying to classify them as a tool for defense or a tool for offense, like there's so much overlap. There's, I don't really care to uh, distinguish between that classification. But what I, what I want to emphasize is that in general, in the spiritual life, we're supposed to guard ourselves, guard ourselves from all the temptations, all the noise in the world, all the distractions, any negative influence. I mean, the list goes on and on and on about the things that we ought to guard ourselves from. So, in addition to guarding ourselves, we ought to always be on offense, be active, be proactive, always fighting to... To, to run the race, like St. Paul uses the example of running the race where we're progressing forward, we're climbing, we're trying to hold on to Christ, we're abiding in Christ, we're walking in His light. Okay, and that's our priority. Okay? So, I'll start picking up on that note, as we said um, last week, that we we read in that very last part to stand firm right to be girded with truth and so on and so here to be to be girded with truth is the very first instruction out of all of the pieces we have to put on Okay, once we stand, once we're ready to assume that uh, th that posture of a soldier, then we have to be prepared. Like to be girded. Remember, we see this specific analogy in the three watches as we pray in Igbeya at night. That the common theme throughout the three watches is preparation or, or repentance and watchfulness. And in Luke, he says, gird your loins. And what that typically means is to be, to be like strapped up, to be dressed, to be clothed, to be ready. Okay? And so if a soldier is really going to be like a real soldier, then he has to be ready. There's no such thing as like a sleepy soldier. There's not much of a soldier. <laughs> or a lazy soldier. But someone who's girded is someone who has his tool belt on, someone who's dressed or clothed and, and, and always prepared. Like you see in the example of the Old Testament, whenever God tells the Israelites to eat the Passover, He tells them to eat the Passover standing. And He tells them, to, to be girded while they're standing and eating the Passover. And so the reason is like something intense is taking place. Like there's a spiritual warfare and we have to always be ready. Even while you're eating the Passover, that you have to be up on your feet, girded with the truth. Okay, and that truth 
It's just honesty. The truth is like our foundation. Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so we're girded with Christ who is the truth. We're girded with the, the, the preparation of like admitting the reality of our condition. Remember when the prodigal son was far away from his father, there's this climactic point when the scripture says, when he came to himself, he realized how many of my father's servants have bread enough to eat and so on. But the, the, the point of that little phrase when he came to himself is basically when he realized the truth. The truth is, I have a loving father. The truth is, I am straying away from God or that I am starting to slip. And the very first thing that the devil will try to to hit us with is the temptation to manipulate the truth, the temptation to alter the truth. And to be honest, like if we're capable of admitting the truth and saying, look, this is my condition, then that's almost always all it takes for us to take that first step to say, I need to repent, I need to get back to walking the right path, to confess, to get my Bible readings back on track, to be attentive to other people in my life, to serve, to pray, to do all of those things. Okay, So the first instruction that St. Paul emphasizes is to just be honest. Once we're honest, everything else falls into place. Okay? Then what? Okay. He says to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Okay? Now, in here, I, I want to just start by sharing with you what Father Lawrence Farley says in explaining this. He says, this righteousness is the holiness of our life as dedicated soldiers of Christ. Without righteous and holy living, we have no defense to keep our hearts safe. Okay, so what's interesting here is that he says to put on this breastplate. Now, if you're to look at this anatomically, and I know it's not like the most spiritual way to, to interpret the Bible, but let's, let's take a tangent to look at this anatomically or biologically and talk about what the breastplate really does. Okay? The breastplate guards your chest. Now, if you're to look at what the most significant piece or organ in your chest actually is, you'll easily find that it's your heart. Okay, The most important organ that this breastplate is supposed to protect is not your ribs or a certain muscle here or there. It's not your skin. 
But it's your heart. Like there's nothing more important in this area than your heart. Okay? So, our heart is supposed to be dedicated to righteousness. A life of holiness. And he says, without righteous and holy living, we have no defense to keep our hearts safe. So what protects us, ironically, what protects us is a holy life or a righteous life. Now, a holy life or a righteous life is not something passive, right? For you to be holy, for you to be righteous, is for you to be doing good things. So I just find it ironic that what he's talking about, the very first quality to defend ourselves, the very first method of protecting ourselves, is something that's actually proactive, something that requires work. So this breastplate of righteousness isn't something that just sits on our, our, our chest passively, but our protection, our defense, is offense. It's ironic, and I know it might be a little bit too much of like sports lingo, <laughs> but I always think of this like a soccer team. And the best soccer team is the soccer team that's able to stay on offense. Uh, and there's something called um, the total time of possession. And, and if you're familiar with soccer, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But if you're not, basically it's just a matter of how long you maintain possession of the ball. And it's not always the case, but typically the team that holds on to the ball the most, it's able to maintain possession or stay on offense, will typically win. So the more you're able to keep God in mind, the more you're able to think of Him, thank Him, the more you're able to lift up your complaints whenever something is bothering you. Instead of just grumbling, put your complaints at His feet. Tell Him. You know, direct your mind and your thoughts to Him. Direct your heart to Him. Try to pick up His Word and, and read His Word so that you can listen to what He has to say to you. It requires something active on our end. And so long as we're active, we're protecting our hearts. Okay? Trust me, nobody wants a broken heart. <laughs> nobody wants a heart attack. We all try to protect our hearts. And if we apply that spiritually, that means... We have to be proactive in our spiritual life, to pray, to read His Word, to think of Him, to just dedicate our mind and our thoughts, our inclinations to God. Okay, so any comments or questions about that before I move on? Alright, now, what does He say next? Okay, the very next part. He says to, well, he talks about the feet of the soldier. So what does he say about the feet? What's specific about the feet here? I've been talking a lot, I just want to make sure you guys are with me. So tell me what you think right here. 
as preparation of the gospel of the truth. Okay. The gospel of peace. Very good. So, preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, you put if you put these two components together, the feet and what they do, and the gospel of peace and what that's all about, you'll see that there's a unique combination right here. Your feet are what take you places. Basically, your orientation, your direction. As a matter of fact, it can even be related to your will. And remember, whenever Christ is talking to Peter, he says, all you need to wash is your feet, right? And if your feet are washed, everything else is good. Everything else is in good place. Um, Remember the case whenever Peter tells him, like, Lord, like, wash everything in my body, not just my feet. He said, no, 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 all you need is your feet because your feet are symbolic to your will, your direction, your orientation, okay? Where you're headed and where you're headed defines your life, your orientations, your inclinations, your direction, and your will, right? Now, apply that to the gospel of peace. In Isaiah 52, 7, the scripture says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who announce good news. And, and I've mentioned this so many times before, but the word gospel, evangelio, literally means good news. Right? So announcing that good news is the announcement of peace. It's the announcement of victory. Okay? So, how can we put these two together that our intentions or our inclinations are always to deliver a message of peace or deliver the gospel, to announce the gospel of peace? What does that actually mean? How can we apply that practically? How can we always direct our life, our work, our will to be like messengers of peace? For us to, um, you know, we have we have a relationship with Christ who is the King of Peace. Naturally, that will that allow us to be peaceful, right? And then um, from there, we could be walking gospels by spreading um, the gospel in, in peace. Without even if even if uh, even if there's any, I guess disagreements and whatnot, it's we still remain and hold our peace despite uh, the opposition. Very good. So I guess what I'm taking from what you said is essentially our own model, right? If we're connected to Christ who is the King of Peace, kind of like radiate that. We become messengers of that. Is that basically what I interpret from what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. And to be honest, that's always the foundation, right? Uh, I always go back to what Seraphim of Sorrow says, attain the spirit of peace and a thousand souls around you will be converted. It's a beautiful concept, but if we have Christ, who is the King of Peace, that will radiate. Okay, 
will will talk to others about encouraging words. And that's tough because like it's almost like suicide to turn on the news nowadays or to scroll through a, a news station or some social media that tells you little news bites but almost always it's negative and if we're always hearing all this negative stuff we have nothing but negative to share with people but we're called to share the good news to see the good in life to to be optimistic not that not that that means we should be uh, not that that means we should oppose reality, right? We still live in this world and, and we admit what's really happening around us, but we focus on the good and, and we translate that to others. But if our mind and our thoughts are always just focused on, on the bad, on the negatives, on the things that are destroying our society, the things that are destroying our world, then we're going to have nothing but darkness to talk about. And I'm sure a lot of people know exactly what I mean. Whenever you meet somebody and they have like nothing but negative stuff to share with you, even if it's real, even if it's true, it's just not uplifting. Okay? So we always want to be a source of positive and encouraging words to others, encouraging messages and, and uplifting words. All right. So next he talks about the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. Okay? He says, take the helmet of salvation and the word and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Alright, now this is very important. When you look at the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation, what does that really protect? We spoke about the breastplate protecting your heart. Right, now what about the helmet? What does the helmet do? What does it protect? Your head, <laughs> very simple. But more specifically, if you're gonna like really hone in on what that's really all about, it's not just an organ. It's not just that it protects your brain. But it protects your mind, it protects your thoughts. And we all know that it's it's illegal to to go out on, on a bike or a motorcycle without a helmet. Even our secular society knows the significance of protecting your mind. Okay, you got to protect your mind. Like Nobody is foolish enough, enough to say, I can live with a brain injury. No biggie. <laughs> we know that it's serious. We have to protect our minds because the mind is like the organ that governs our whole body. Our mind is 
the, the control center gives our body the instructions and it tells our whole members what to do, what not to do, how to talk, how to act, how to respond. All of those things come from our mind. Okay? So, this is the most precious organ to guard because it governs our whole body. Now, if you're to think of this helmet and, and how St. Paul defines this helmet, uh, he chooses the word faith to describe the, the essence of this helmet. So he says, to guard yourself with the helmet of faith or, or um, salvation. The, the shield is faith. But the helmet is salvation. And we can see a connection between the two. But what does that really tell us in regards to guarding our heart and our mind? And for St. Paul to say, the shield is faith, the helmet is salvation. What does that mean? That faith is your shield and salvation is your helmet. What's the deal with faith? What's the deal with salvation? What does, that, what does it mean? What's St. Paul telling us here? What do you guys think? As we discussed, uh, like the shield, it protects you, right? So your faith protects you. Uh, if you have faith in, in, in God, if you have faith so regardless of whether temptations or just certain situations come up in your life, you're still kind of, um, you're protected, right, uh, from that. Uh, um, in terms of the of the helmet of salvation, we said the helmet protects the mind. So in terms of keeping our minds fixated on, this, on, on our second, on the, you know, on the kingdom of heaven, um, and to keep our minds focused on that. Okay, so keeping our mind focused on the life to come, keeping our mind focused on what God has awaiting us, okay? But for us to say we have to protect our heart, we have to protect our mind, is one thing. But for us to say we have to protect our mind and our heart with this and this and this is another thing because now we're emphasizing or or putting it a little bit more specifically, what that sort of protection is all about. Okay, and in essence, faith and salvation is simply what God has given us, right? We have salvation from God's work, right? Salvation is ours by grace, okay? So that faith is basically in accepting it. And us, like reaching out our hands and saying, I, I believe that you're my Savior. And I confide in you. I abide in you. And I, I, I completely rely on you for everything. Okay, there's like a sense of loyalty. That's what faith is all about. There's a sense of loyalty. So, 
that loyalty to God, which is essentially what faith is all about, is what protects us. Salvation is knowing that what we have is a free gift. We didn't work for it. Like who of us can say, I earned salvation? But to say God gave us salvation is an affirmation of God's love. It's an affirmation of God's grace. And that can't happen without you trusting in His love and His grace. And so often, what will really um, challenge us, like the way the devil is going to try to injure our minds, right? as we try to protect it with the helmet, he's going to try to injure our minds. He uses these doubts and like these temptations to make us think that we're not good enough. Or um, like if we're tempted to to sin before we fall into the sin he'll say look you can repent after you cheat or you do this or that and he'll he'll plant these delusions in our mind so that we deny our faith we deny the truth right and we know that because as soon as we we fall or we commit a sin He'll tell us the exact opposite. Instead of telling us, you can always repent after you fall into the sin or whatever, He'll say, like, you've gone too far. You can't repent. Like, this was a terrible thing that you did. It's, it's too bad. It's too terrible. And He'll tempt us to fall into like despair and hopelessness. Okay, but if we can fight in God's love, if we confide in His grace, then our confidence in Him, our trust in Him, our loyalty to Him becomes our protection, becomes our breastplate, our shield, and our helmet. Okay? So, any questions or comments about that? All right, now, he goes to talk about the sword, right? Talks about the sword. He says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, before we talk about uh, our application of this instruction that he gives us here, let's try to define what the Word of God really is. What does he mean to say that the sword, the sword of the Spirit, is the Word of God? Does that just mean the Bible or anything more or anything else? What does he actually mean to say that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God? Is it, uh, um, does it mean, like, 
preaching the gospel, similar to like dividing the word of truth. Uh, so kind of through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, we spread the message of the gospel. All right. That right there is like the best way to look at it because I like how you, you explain that it's the message of the gospel. In a sense, there's this, this um, inclusive and general component to it. It's not just limited to specific words that we read in the Bible. But the message of the gospel itself is something a lot more comprehensive. It's about sharing a message of love, right? You don't have to like technically spit out Bible verses. <laughs> and if you think that the sword is literally like every single word, although it is the Bible, right? But if it's reduced to nothing more, then like biblical verse regurgitations, then you're limiting your application of what the scriptures are telling us and what St. Paul is instructing us. But to say the sword of the Spirit is the gospel as a whole, that means we preach Christ, we model Christ, our actions become our words, and our words become life-giving messages that are tailored to specific people in specific situations, in a specific time, in a specific way. And that always changes in every circumstance. All right? And of course, we got to know the Bible and what the words actually say in order to do that. But we can't reduce it to just, oh, I need to regurgitate this Bible verse or that Bible verse, right? Alright, so with that being said, let's go to the next few verses, and I want to take verses 18 to 20, so just the next three, and then we'll talk about that. After he concludes talking about the components of the armor, he says, Pray at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keeping alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, the utterance may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in, change, in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Alright, so take a moment to read that one more time and then we'll talk about it. All right, so what do you take from that? Like, what's his concluding remarks when it comes to 
putting on all this equipment and all the pieces of the armor. Like, what's the final piece that he attaches to their armor? Prayer, but um, prayer in the spirit, meaning that it's not just us praying what we want to pray, it's being led by the Holy Spirit um, in what we should be praying about. So in this instance, praying for others, right? praying for St. Paul himself, uh, and to do it with perseverance and being watchful with ourselves, our actions, uh, all that. Very good. Very good. So it's, it's prayer, and not just any prayer. It's not like the prayer that's on my mind and my own selfish inclinations, but prayer in the spirit, and as you explained, it's something that extends beyond my own needs to pray for others, and so on. Okay, so Father Lawrence Farley says, the armor of God presupposes a prayerful life. Indeed, each piece of the armor is put on by prayer, and, uh, and without a life of prayer, none of this armor is of any use. So it's almost like the glue that keeps all these pieces together. It's like the core or the foundation that keeps this armor intact. Okay? And notice too that there's a specific order or like priority that he mentions in his, his requests. That he says to pray for others before he even mentions himself. Okay, so there's a real like, selfless approach to this concept. He, he, he doesn't mention himself until verse 19. He says, and also for me, that utterance may be given me in the opening of my mouth. And, so, and then he talks about what he would like them to pray for when it comes to him. But before that, he says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So he's, he's asking them not just to pray for others before himself, but there's this sense of mandate for like an inclusive life of prayer. He, he could have just said, Pray for your community. Pray for what's happening in Ephesus or even Asia Minor. You know, like instead of your small little pocket, he could have extended out a little bit more. But no, he says all the saints. So that we're called to pray for all humanity. And it's tough because a lot of times we'll find ourselves just praying for our own self, and if we extend beyond ourselves, we'll pray for our family, maybe our relatives or whatever, a couple of friends here and there. But we're called to extend so far beyond that. Everyone, all the Christians, and even those outside of the faith. Okay? So that's a very important concept for us to keep in mind. That should form the mindset that we that we take into our prayer life right now now when it comes to himself okay what does he request for his own case what does he request 
when it comes to like what he would like them to pray for him. Okay, for him to continue preaching, what does this do for St. Paul? What does his evangelism and preaching add to his own life? How does it help him? <laughs> exactly, like every time he goes and preaches, it adds to his chains, it adds to his persecution. It is, it's mind-blowing that even when it comes to his request for his own self, it's something for the benefit of others. It's just an incredible type of love, an incredible type of unselfishness that even when he says pray for me he says pray for me that I may help others that I may preach that I may continue to evangelize and spread the gospel and that I may do so with boldness that I may proclaim the mystery of the gospel boldly okay and 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 he's not even trying to pretend that this this is going to to help him or anything. He, he knows. He knows it's not going to help him personally. He says, for which I'm an ambassador in chains. I'm an ambassador in chains. So pray for me because I want to do something that's going to like keep me um, persecuted, keep me locked up. It's going to continue to irritate my enemies. They're going to continue to come after me, but that's all I want. I want to just continue to further the message of the gospel. All right. Any comments or questions there before we read the last few verses of the chapter? Actually, before we move on, I like that St. Paul asks them to, to pray for God to give him words. And it even like goes to show that he doesn't depend on his own wisdom or intellect in preaching. Do you notice that? It reminds me of the scriptures when Christ says, whenever you're delivered to be persecuted, don't premeditate beforehand what you ought to say. But if you confide in the Spirit, if you trust in God, the Holy Spirit will teach you in that hour what you ought to say. That's what Christ tells us. He says that if you depend on the Spirit, then don't even worry. God will give you the words. And it's a testimony of your faith. So we see this happening in in, in a real practical way right here. Where St. Paul says, Pray that God may give me the words. Because the words are going to come from Him. The power of my ministry, my evangelism is going to come from Him. 
It's going to come from the Spirit of God. That's who I'm depending on. That's who I rely on. Alright, so the last few verses from 21 to 24. He says, Now that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all, who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love undying. Alright, so take a moment to read that one more time and then we'll talk about it. Alright, so this is a very simple but deep conclusion. It's a little different than most of the conclusions that uh, we find in the Pauline epistles. Um, But does anything jump out at you whenever you look at the way St. Paul concludes this letter. He's not, uh, he's not leaving um, the Ephesians kind of out to dry. He's you know, taking care of them uh, by sending Tychus. Very good. So he's not just saying like, here's a letter here, here are my words, just a few words in, in this letter to get you by, but he sent them someone that could physically be present. Okay? And that goes to, to really show a lot. It goes a long way. That he, he sent them a person that can physically be there for them. And then, if we're to continue along with this thought, that... He says, this person I'm sending you, Tychicus, is not just like a random, ordinary guy. But he says, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. And, and, and that this beloved brother and this faithful minister will tell you everything. So in a sense, he's like entrusting the completion of his message in the hands of Tychicus. So as to say, like, I'm not going to leave you with, like, any missing pieces. It's not like this letter is going to leave you with a cliffhanger or anything like that. But Tychicus is going to wrap it up perfectly for you. All right? 
What else? Anything else that might um, seem a little different about this conclusion when you look at what, what St. Paul typically says? We can see that St. Paul has a very general way of concluding this epistle. Right? He doesn't um, conclude with like a very specific personal message to like a single person or even like a single place. In a sense, he says, "Like I've sent them, I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts." And in a sense, it's like a message of encouragement that can be applied to anyone, anywhere. It's not like limited to a single person or a single place. Which goes to show like this letter was to be circulated around all the churches in the area. It's not like limited to a single place. So there's like a universal nature to this letter. There's, there's something that can radiate to all the Christians. Alright? So we see too he concludes by saying... Peace to be peace be to the brethren and love with faith. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith. So this reminds us that it's this peace that like Saint Paul wants to leave them with. Because it's this peace that's gonna encourage them. He says that it encourages them with like a faithful love. So, St. Jerome puts it in a very beautiful way. He says, There are many gifts bestowed by God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, but of all these, peace has a crucial place. This peace passes all understanding. It preserves the body and mind of the saints. It's a certain serenity and tranquility of a mind at rest. It's protected from the universal storm and malstorm of perturbations. So also is love with faith, which at the same time is given to us by God the Father and the Holy Spirit, so that we may love God from our whole heart and our neighbor as ourselves. Okay, so... He, he basically wants to leave them with this sort of tranquility or peace that prompts them to work. Like, I don't know about you, but a lot of times whenever I've, I've had like a tough day and like deep down I feel a little tense, I feel like... Like there's a lot going on, there's a lot of thoughts on my mind. I'm not really inclined to to work 
and to serve and to love and to go the extra mile. But when deep down inside there's a sense of peace and a sense of tranquility, like my mind is at rest, that I feel like all my work is just translating out of my heart in a very authentic way, in, in a very simple way. Okay? And, and that's what allows us to love. That's what like, fuels our faith and our work. Whenever everything is collected within our hearts, when everything is in place, like there's a sense of order, we're, we're in harmony with our own mind and our heart and we're united with God. That's the product of peace. Whenever peace is present, we're collected, we're like united in our thoughts, like our thoughts are not scattered, there's no anxiety or tension within our mind or our hearts. And that allows us to, to work and to love and to serve in a more faithful and effective way. Alright? So, this is essentially what St. Paul wants to leave them with. And I love even like the very last word. He says, Grace be with you all our... Who, who, who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love undying. With love undying, like eternal love. The, the literal word that he uses here is incorruptible. Like love that cannot be corrupted. And that's what we have to think of when it comes to the love that we ought to offer God and our brothers. We ought to offer God unconditional love unchangeable love love that does not fade away and and whenever our mind is at peace our hearts in the right place and our life is committed to god then our love is constant our love is unconditional and eternal and that's what we're called to have all right so that's the conclusion of the epistle to the Ephesians. It's been a wonderful epistle to study and to, to meditate on, and, and I hope that we all benefited from it. If you have any comments, questions, anything that was confusing from any part of the epistle, feel free to ask, or anything more specifically about today, also feel free to ask, but... Other than that, it's uh, it's finally at the end. All right, so we'll bow our heads and conclude in prayer. Dear our Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Lord, make us worthy to pray with all thanksgiving. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. So Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now the love of God the Father, the grace of his only begotten Son, our Lord, God, and Savior Jesus Christ, the gift and the flash of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace, the peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen. Have a wonderful night, and we'll see you next week at 7.30, God willing.
Take care, guys.